Welcome to Tome Raiders, the podcast where we take folklore, legends, and mythology and take them to the local rambling group um, <laughs> to walk around the local countryside and find that everyone's... Twice your age. Twice your age. And at least twice as fit as you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if that sounded close to home, guys, it's because I've just got back from my local rambling group. <laughs> <laughs> and Laura is tired. And I'm knackered. And there's, there's something quite special about being... 30 years old and turning around like gasping for breath like barely <laughs> able to suck the oxygen into your lungs i don't have covid i've tested <laughs> i'm just unfit and seeing like a sprightly octogenarian like sprint past you and you're isn't, like isn't that the story of the last two years i don't have covid i'm just unfit <laughs> <laughs> well, sad but true <laughs> i'm ross and i'm laura uh, she's laura um and uh, today we're gonna look at some we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna set sail oh where we're, are we going we're going to go um uh west across the atlantic around the bottom of south america up across the pacific ocean and eventually land in the land of japan oh which is really not the way you ought to go no not unless you were really lost <laughs> <laughs> i think that's the i, I was re- I was trying to read shogun but shogun by james clavel mm. and i think that's the route that the sailors took in that okay but sh- in this day and age of air travel <laughs> yeah why, why? why bother yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so um today we're going to read um this little book here it's, it's it's really a collection of tales um and um to help us into um, the theme of Japanese ghost stories, which is the theme of today's episode. Mm. Um, um, yeah, I'm going to read these stories by... Can you guess the nationality of the person who wrote this book? I mean, it's a trick question because I, I, I do know the answer. But it wouldn't be very entertaining for me to just tell you the answer. <laughs> are, they, are they Japanese? N- no. <laughs> are they Australian? No. Are they Irish? Yes. An Irishman. Greek-Irish, yeah. actually, I found out. I think, I think he's Greek-Irish. Well, anyway, mostly Irish. Tell us how you came across this book, please, Ross. Okay, I will, Laura. Oh. Thank you. Well, <laughs> it's practically professional. Um, so when I was at uni, I studied a Japanese film composer called Takemitsu Toru, and he wrote the music for a film by Kobashi Masaki called Kaidan, or Kwaidan, as we usually call it in the West. Mm. Um filmed in 1964, all that kind of stuff. Um, Kaidan is based on a series of Japanese folktales, uh, which were kind of collected and zhuzhed up by the author of this book, who is called Lovecardio Hearn. And um, we're aware that it's a little problematic for a white Irishman to head over to Japan and become somehow the authority mm. in Japanese Ghost stories. Yes. It is problematic. It's, I'm going to say it's like, I mean, I'm not the person to denote whether something's problematic or not, but I would say that he did become a naturalised Japanese citizen Mm. and married a Japanese woman. Mm. And like, if there's any Westerner in the late 1800s who could boast knowing a lot about Japan, it'd probably be him at Mm. that time. Um, Even so... Um, these do sto- bear that in mind. Do bear that in mind as we go forward. That these are stories that are come from Japanese people filtered through a Western guy's lens. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to start with, and we're going to try yeah. and bear that in mind as we're as we're reading and discussing it as well. Yeah. I'm going to try not to go <laughs> quite so often. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fine. I mean, it's okay. I mean, that's, give us your genuine reactions. That's oh, what. That's okay. what. That's okay. what makes the podcast. Have soul. <laughs> okay. You can't cut okay. the soul out. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay. So, so I'm going to start with this story here. Um, it's about a fisher boy. Specifically, mm-hmm. it says fisher boy. Fisher boy. Fisher okay. boy. Um, How old is the fisher boy? Um, well, um, it doesn't say, but it does say that he lived 1416 years ago. That is extremely specific. It is very specific. <laughs> 1416. Yes. Wow. Which is actually how we start our story. Okay. I'll stop interrupting. Breathe in. And out. 1416 years ago. (laughs) The Fisher Boy. (laughs) No joke. 
That's, that's the song, sorry. <laughs> 1416 years ago, the fisherboy Urashima Taro left the shore of Suminoye in his boat. Summer days were then as now, all drowsy and tender blue, with only some light, pure white clouds hanging over the mirror of the sea. Then too were the hills the same, far blue soft shapes melting into the blue sky, and the winds were lazy. Same. And presently the boy, also lazy. <laughs> same. <laughs> sitting in the boat saying, same. <laughs> Let his boat drift as he fished. It was a queer boat, unpainted and rudderless, of a shape he probably never saw. But still, after 1400 years, there are such boats to be seen in front of the ancient fishing hamlets of the coast of the Sea of Japan. After long waiting, Urashima caught something and drew it up to him, but he found it was only a tortoise. Now a tortoise is sacred to the dragon god of the sea. Wait. Okay, I'm not even going to start with, with... That's a lot to unpack. That's a lot to unpack. Um, first of all, tortoises, sacred. Yep. Well, I mean, f- f- fair enough. Also, how did he end up pulling a tortoise? With, <laughs> which, is, which is the one with the legs. <laughs> not the well, one with the flippers. Not the one with the flippers. <laughs> while fishing. It must happen. Must happen all the time. Apparently it happened commonly enough to put in a folk story. <laughs> I think generally they get caught in nets, don't they? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe that's how we, that's 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 the logical answer. The period of its natural life is a thousand. Some say ten thousand years. What? Okay. That's not true, is it? <laughs> ten thousand years. <laughs> what? This tortoise saw the making of Stonehenge. Yeah. Alexander the Great working his way across Asia. <laughs> <laughs> JFK being shot <laughs> to be fair there was a girl at my school who had a turtle that she inherited from her grandpa oh really and that, that turtle was like a hundred a hundred not ten thousand no <laughs> but they, did, they have got some longevity god imagine if Fang outlived that <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I'm sure the listeners know this but Fang is our rescue cat who is a toothless um, gummy bear with a heart murmur who just lies on whatever padded surface is closest to him yes he has approximately 13 waking minutes per day yeah <laughs> anyway the point is of this the of the tortoise being potentially up to ten thousand years old it says so that to kill it is very wrong okay yeah fine 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 it's like chopping down a very old tree so that's the narrative yeah point of mm-hmm. this yeah that's why that's been meant yeah okay The boy gently unfastened the creature from his line and set it free with a prayer to the gods. From his line? From his line. So he did catch it with a hook. He did catch it with a hook. That is odd. Many questions were asked. None were answered. (laughs) But he caught nothing more, probably because he was trying to catch tortoises with a hook. (laughs) And the day was very warm. And sea and air and all things were very, very silent. And a great drowsiness grew upon him. And he slept in his drifting boat. It sounds dreamy, to be fair. It does sound dreamy. Then out of the dreaming of the sea, literally, no joke, <laughs> rose up a beautiful girl. Wait. <laughs> like a mermaid? Like, <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I, I just, uh, like, in, I don't know, in that painting of, what's the painting? What's the famous painting? With, like, in the seashell? Oh. Um... Aphrodite. Which we found out... <laughs> she just raises from the sea. <laughs> which, we, which we found out that Aphrodite is actually spawned from Uranus's um, uh, um, Cro- Ur- jizz. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't Kronos cut off his ball sack and that's throw right. it in the sea? And that's where Aphrodite came from. So imagine that, dear listener. <laughs> out, of <the> dreaming, <laughs> out of the dreaming of the sea rose up a beautiful girl. Just as... You, and it says... Just as you can see her in the picture to Professor Chamberlain's Urashima. Context required. We don't have that picture. No. So we have no idea. (laughs) Robed in crimson and blue with long black hair flowing down her back even to her feet. After the fashion of a prince's daughter 1400 years ago. Yes, Laura? Is she wet? Are her clothes wet? Is her hair wet? 
You know it doesn't say. They must be. I mean, so far the pattern of this has been you've asked a question that's been answered in the next sentence. (laughs) But this is a rare case where where that has not been answered. (laughs) Well, I'm imagining that she's soaking wet. Yeah, yeah, just like clothes clinging to her. (laughs) Like a wet t-shirt contest. Yeah, exactly. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Enough cardio, huh? (laughs) Gliding over the waters, she came. Oh, stop. (laughs) God, this this has gone south very quickly. (laughs) Let's move on before we get an explicit... Well, we've already earned our explicit tag. Softly as air, apparently. And she's... Is what it says. And she stood above the sleeping boy in the boat and woke him with a light touch and said, Do not be surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Who the fuck are you? My father, the dragon king of the sea, <laughs> sent me to you because of your kind heart. <laughs> For today you set free a tortoise. And now we will go to <laughs> And now we will go to my father's palace in the island where summer never dies, and I will be your flower wife if you wish. Wait. A specifically flower wife. Well okay. Again, a lot to unpack. Yeah. What's the difference between a flower wife and a normal wife? Um, horticulture. <laughs> why is she fran- Why is she promising herself to some guy she doesn't even know, who apparently is a fisher boy, not a fisher man? Because he rescued a tortoise. Shows good character, good marriage quality, boy boyfriend material. That is. There we shall live happily ever after. And Urashima wondered more and more as he looked upon her. For she was more beautiful than any human being, and he could not but love her. That is absolute bullshit. This, again, another story that could have been solved with a wank. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> to quote the great Princess Elsa, <laughs> you can't marry someone you just met. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking, I definitely don't remember her saying, just have a wank <laughs> in Frozen. Anyway. Then she took one oar and he took another and they rowed away together. Just as you may still see... Oh, that's quite sweet. Yeah, just as you may still see off the far western coast, wife and husband rowing together when the fishing boats flit into the evening gold. Shall we go and do that? We'll off go the J- western coast... Of Japan. Of Japan. We'll go and sail in a rowing boat. And you can sail have, in a rowing boat. You can have one... Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. They rowed away softly and swiftly over the silent blue water down into the south till they came to the island where summer never dies and to the palace of the Dragon King of the Sea. Yeah. We're just accepting the existence of a Dragon King at this point. We don't know whether he's a dragon or a king, or whether whether he's actually a dragon, whether it's like Dragon King is like a title of the sea, apparently. Not Are there other Dragon Kings? Is there a Dragon King of the Air? This sounds like the start of a very popular Nickelodeon cartoon <laughs> from the noughties. <laughs> which I, which I, I, I'm here for it. And <laughs> <laughs> everything changed when the Dragon King attacked. <laughs> uh, so Laura hasn't seen this show, so that's really just for me and for you, dear listener. Oh, we're talking about Avatar. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I have seen one episode. There, there's no Dragon King in Avatar, but there is the Fire Nation. Yeah, which aren't mentioned in here. Okay, <laughs> we've digressed. We've digressed. <laughs> There, strange servitors came to receive them in robes of ceremony. Creatures of the sea who ga- who paid greeting to Urashima as the son-in-law of the Dragon King. I'm literally just imagining... Wait. Creatures of the sea. So we're we talking like fish people. Yeah, or like crabs. Or Octopus. Oct- octopus. Where's this fucking Spongebob? <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to play my clarinet. <laughs> So the sea god's daughter became the bride of Urashima, and it was a bridal of wondrous splendour, and in the dragon palace there was great rejoicing. Wait, so they've already got married? Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. What is it with these people? And just getting married. Getting married. We've been together for nearly two years. We haven't got married. No. No, but then again, neither of us are the daughter of the dragon god of the sea. How do you know? You've met my dad. He's a very strange man. 
And each day for Urashima, there were new wonders and new pleasures of the deepest deep, brought up by the servants of the ocean god, pleasures of that enchanted land where summer never dies. And so, three years passed. Just like that. Yeah. But in spite of all these things, the fisher boy felt always a heaviness at his heart when he thought of his parents waiting alone, so that at last he prayed his bride to let him go home for a little while only, just to say one word to his father and mother, after which he would hasten back to her. At these words she began to weep, and for a long time she continued to weep silently. This is kind of what happens like... This is kind of what happens every time I go to work on Monday in London, isn't it? <laughs> to be fair, yes. <laughs> Darling, I'm about to catch the 7.15. Don't go! <laughs> I work from home all the time. <laughs> Ross has to go in occasionally, okay? <laughs> I am not a clingy dragon princess. <laughs> I thought you just said you were. <laughs> <laughs> then she said to him, Since you wish to go, of course you must go. I fear you're going very much. Oh, come on, hon. I fear we shall never see each other again. But I will give you a little box to take with you. It will help you to come back to me if you will do what what I tell you. Men never do what you tell them. This is a schoolgirl error. And here's the instruction. Do not open it. Oh, my God. This is just like... It's like when I tell you, do not eat that. Obviously, you're going to. My telling you not to is just putting that thought in your mind. Yeah. Ooh, bet that tastes bet, good. Oh, <laughs> don't mind if I do. <laughs> <laughs> Above all things, do not open it, no matter what may happen. Oh, for fuck's sake. Because, I can see where this is going. Yeah. If you open it, you will never be able to come back. So don't give it to him, girl. What <laughs> and, the fuck? And you will never see me again. Oh, for... Don't give it to him then. Yeah. Or just fucking slip it in his bag so he doesn't know what it is. Wrap mm-hmm. it up in some cling film so he can't be asked to open it. Well, he she does tie it, as a, this is the next sentence, and she gave him a little lacquered box tied around with a silken cord. So there's a silken cord tied around it. That is not sufficient. No, insufficient. But Urashima comforted his bride and promised her never, never to open the box, never even to loosen the silken string. Oh, come on, girl. You but- can... <laughs> We can all see. We've read this book before. Yeah, yeah. This is familiar, isn't it? <laughs> then he passed away through the summer light over the ever-sleeping sea, and the shape of the island where summer never dies faded behind him like a dream. And he saw again before him the blue mountains of Japan, sharpening in the white glow of the northern horizon. Again at last, he glided into his na- native bay. Again he stood upon its beach. But as he looked... There came upon him a great bewilderment, a weird doubt. For the place was at once the same, and yet not the same. The cottage of his father's had disappeared. There was a village, but the shapes of the houses were all strange, and the trees were strange, and the fields, and even the faces of the people. Is it possible that he's just gone to the wrong town? (laughs) Everything's different, (laughs) including the location. (laughs) (laughs) nearly all remembered landmarks were gone the shinto temple appeared to have been rebuilt in a new place the woods had vanished from the neighboring slope i mean come on this is really this is like this is the this this is not the same place (laughs) (laughs) only the voice of the little stream flowing through the settlement and the forms of the mountains were still the same but he could just be in the next village over surely all else was unfamiliar and new in vain he tried to find the dwelling of his parents and the fisher folk stared wonderingly at him, and he could not remember having seen any of those faces before. Yeah, I think you're in the wrong town, buddy. Yeah, it's definitely wrong place. The or ca- wrong time, maybe. Wrong time. Oh, wrong time. Oh. Are you prescient? What? Are you in the wrong time? Because we're going somewhere. Oh, what the fuck? Okay. <laughs> there came along a very old man leaning on a stick, and Urashima asked him to way to the house of the Urashima family. But the old man looked quite astonished and made him repeat the question many times and then cried out, Urashima Taro, where do you come from that you do not know the story? What? Urashima Taro, why, it is more than 400 years since he was drowned. What? <laughs> and a monument is erected to his memory in the graveyard. Yeah, erected. <laughs> in a graveyard, darling, come on. <laughs> I'm not even sorry. (laughs) (laughs) 
The graves of all his people are in that graveyard. The old graveyard which is now not used anymore. Urashima Taro. How can you be so foolish as to ask where his house is? <laughs> Idiot! <laughs> <laughs> and the old man hobbled on, laughing at the simplicity of his question. Wow! Savage! <laughs> to... Urashima went to the village graveyard, the old graveyard that was not used anymore, and there he found his own tombstone. That the... is fucking spooky. <laughs> and the tombstones of his father and his mother oh. and his kindred. And the tombstones of many others he had known. Oh dear. So old they were, so moss-eaten, that it was very hard to read the names upon them. Then he knew himself the victim of some strange illusion, and he took his way back to the beach, always carrying in his hand the box, the gift of the seagull's daughter. Oh no. But Oh god, I forgot about that. What was this illusion? And what could be in that box? No! Dude! Or, or might not that which was in the box be the cause of the illusion? No, dude! Doubt what did she say? <laughs> Recklessly, he broke the promise oh, made to his Jesus beloved. Jesus Christ, I didn't even take him a day. He loosened the silken cord. He opened the box. No! Instantly, without any sound, there burst from it a white, cold, spectral vapour that rose in the air like a summer cloud. Ugh, for fuck's sake, typical. And began to drift away swiftly into the south, over the silent sea. There was nothing else in the box. And Urashima then knew that he had destroyed his own happiness, that he could never again return to his beloved. She fucking told him! I have no sympathy! Cry me a river! He wept and cried out bitterly in (sighs) his despair. Yet for a moment only. In another, he himself was changed... An icy chill shot through all his blood. His teeth fell out. His face shriveled. His hair turned white as snow. His limbs withered. His strength ebbed. He sank down lifeless on the sand, crushed by the weight of 400 winters. I think the moral of the story is don't tell boys not to do something and expect them to actually not do it. Yeah. Otherwise, they will... Evaporate. Evaporate. <laughs> Their teeth will fall out and... <laughs> Their hair will all go white and they'll collapse under the weight of 400 yeah, winters. That's the moral of the story, right? Yeah. As, as, as I understand it. Um, what did you make of that? It's interesting because there are some parallels between this and, like, some Greek legends that I can think of. Yeah. Like Aphrodite... Was it Aphrodite? Yeah, 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 yeah. Coming out of the sea. Out of the foam. Out of the foam from... Uranus's bull sack. Yes. Um, I do wonder whether there's any connection there. I don't know. What, like an actual kind of like some lineage? Yeah. It's... Whether the stories... Mm, I mean, that's a very interesting kind of topic of discussion. Like, there is the kind of the idea of the monomyth. And you can see... You can... There are some kind of striking similarities to some of the old Japanese legends when you compare them to... Also Pandora's box. Pandora's box. Absolutely. It, it, I think at this point, because um, this was in the 1800s, at that, I think at this point, maybe those stories would have, they would have actually come into contact with some of the Greek legends. Mm. Um, and Well, they, they certainly would have done by the 1800s. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But when, what, when, well, as, as I said, in the Edo period, which was uh, 1600-ish to 18-something, mm. uh, which would have been... So, Lafcadio Home came in the Meiji period, I think. Mm. So, literally, this is just after the Edo, Edo period. Yeah. Um, the Edo period was known for being for Japan just being completely shut off to the outside. Completely isolated. Completely isolated. Yeah. So, so if there's any if there's any of these legends that have come through, they would have come through before then, probably. Well, they they digress quite significantly. Yeah. Also, I would say that, like you know. Japan is entitled to its own legends as oh, well. Oh, of course. So, I'm, so not, I'm not saying that, yeah. that their legends has come from the Greek legend. Maybe it's vice versa. Who knows? Absolutely. I mean, there's the Silk Road after all. Exactly. The, but um, there's there's lots to unpack here. But I I I think there is something in the monomyth thing. Mm. But I don't think it's as far as to say that this is... Pro- I don't think... I wouldn't say that one is directly inspired by Greek legend. I think that there is... There's probably just elements that have been you know, borrowed... People going, that's, that's nice. That's kind of cool. That's, give, gives our one a little bit of flavour. Not necessarily in one direction either. Like, mm. it's, perf- it's probable, in fact, and the mm. Greek legends have drawn on legends from elsewhere in the world. Mm. Well, the next two, I would say, are, are, are quite actually quite different. I would say not, neither of these next two have 
you could point to being, you know, inspired by any other. I think these two both feel very Japanese. Okay. Um, so, would you like to hear this next one? Yes. Um, this is a shorter one. It's called Mujina. Uh huh. Do you remember uh, what Mujina is? A Mujina no. is a badger. Okay. But in um, in Japanese folklore, a lot of these kind of wooden creatures are also thought of as kind of tricksy spirits. So there's mm. like a as a, a like a what are the what are the little raccoon dogs? Tanuki. That's it. Yeah, tanuki, kitsune, i.e. the foxes. Yeah. Kawasaki otters. I too have watched Studio Ghibli. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this one will seem sound quite familiar if you've ever watched. Uh, Pompoko, mm-hmm. which you have. Which I have. Um, so this one, enjoy this. On the Akasaka Road in Tokyo, there is a slope called Kino Kunizaka, which means the slope of the province of Ki. I do not know why it is called the slope of the province of Ki. On one side of the slope, you see an ancient moat, deep and very wide, with high green banks rising up to some places of gardens. And on the other side of the road extend the long and lofty walls of an imperial palace. Before the era of street lamps and jinrikishas, this neighbourhood was very lonesome after dark, and belated pedestrians would go miles out of their way rather than mount the Kino Kunizaka alone after sunset. All because. Very wise. Uh, all because of a Mujina that used to walk there. Ooh. A badger? Yes. So they're going to go miles out of their way to avoid a badger. This badger is a very tricksy badger. Okay. <laughs> no further questions. Carry no, on. The last man who saw the Mujina was an old merchant of the Kyobashi quarter who died about 30 years ago. This is the story as he told it. One night at a late hour, he was hurrying up the Kinokunizaka where he perceived a woman crouching by the moat all alone and weeping bitterly. Fearing that she intended to drown herself, he stopped to offer her any assistance or consolation in his power. She appeared to be a slight and graceful person, mm. handsomely dressed, and her hair was arranged like that of a young girl of good family. Wait, are there specific hairstyles for different social groups? Yes. Okay. 100%, yeah, that's a... That's a thing. That's a rope, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. fine. Ojochu, he exclaimed, approaching her. Ojochu is... This honourable damsel. <laughs> Ojochu, do not cry like that. Tell me what the trouble is, and if there be any way to help you, I shall be very glad to help you. He really meant what he said, for he was a very kind man. Aww. But she continued to weep, hiding her face from him with one of her long sleeves. Ojochu, he said, again, as gently as he could. Please, please listen to me. This is no place for a young lady at night. Oh, okay. Do not cry. I implore you, only tell me how I may be of some help to you. Slowly she rose up, but turned her back to him and continued to moan and sob behind her sleeve. He laid his hand lightly upon her shoulder. Oh dear, don't touch her. And pleaded, Ojochu, 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 listen to me just for one little moment. Ojochu! I don't understand why he, like, obviously she doesn't want to talk to him. So... Just leave it. <laughs> Men, eh? <laughs> First they open lacquered boxes filled with <laughs> spectral ghosts and wisps. And then they also bother... Well, you'll see. Ooh. Then that Ojochu turned around and dropped her sleeve and stroked her face with her hand. And the man saw that she had no eyes or nose Ooh, or mouth. God. And he screamed and ran away. <laughs> Up Kinokunizaka he ran and ran, <laughs> and all was black and empty before him. On and on he ran, never daring to look back, and at last he saw a lantern so far away that it looked like the gleam of a firefly, and he made for it. It proved to be only the lantern of an itinerant sorba seller, as in noodles, Ooh. who had set down his stand by the roadside. But, but why would he be selling noodles when there's literally nobody around and it's pitch black? You're asking the right questions. This guy wasn't. Oh, God. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) But any light and any human companionship was good after that experience. And he flung... What a convenient noodle stand. (laughs) 
in this deserted... God, being scared is really giving me an appetite. <laughs> he flung himself down at the feet of the sorbet seller, crying out, <laughs> And to clarify that those R's have one exclamation mark, two exclamation marks, and then three exclamation marks. Kore, <laughs> kore, roughly exclaimed the sober man. Here, what is the matter with you? Anybody hurt you? No. Nobody hurt me. Can I interest you in some yakisoba? <laughs> Only... Uh, uh. Only scared you? queried the peddler, unsympathetically. Oh dear. Robbers? Not robbers. Not robbers! Gasped the terrified man. I saw... I saw a woman by the moat. She showed me... Uh. <laughs> what did she show you? I cannot tell you what she showed me. Oh my god, saucy. Heh! <laughs> Was it anything like this that she showed you? And he pulled out cried, his... Cried the sober man, oh. stroking his own face. Oh, oh, God. Which therewith became like unto an egg. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and simultaneously, the light went out. Oh, my God. <laughs> I wasn't sure what he was going to be stroking <laughs> to show him. Stroking his own face. It does, it, does, it does clarify face. I know it does, but... <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I love that one. That, so that's that, that kind of the legend of the of the faceless person is called the Noperabo. Uh-huh. I think Bo is monk or something like that. And anyway. Um, Ross has had Japanese lessons for a number of years. Uh, I haven't recently, but I had. But pre-lockdown, he had Japanese lessons for a number of years. Yes, I did. <laughs> so great. when he pronounces these Japanese words, he's, you know. I'm really trying. He's really trying. yeah. yeah. And you'll notice that I haven't tried because I know I'll get it wrong and I don't want to offend anyone. It's pronounced how it's spelled, thankfully. Mm. Um, so, there's, that was a little playful one. Playful? Uh, I know, right? Also, where was the fucking badger? That was the badger, the Mugina. But that was a faceless human. Yeah, but Mugina takes the form of, fa- of faceless humans. Oh, creepy. I yeah. love it. Yeah. All right, so this is the third and final story I'm going to tell you today. Okay. Excited. This is my favourite Japanese folktale, so you need to like it. Okay. <laughs> no pressure. Okay. <laughs> this is called The Story of Mimi Nashi Hoichi. Oh, I think I know this one. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. If you enjoy this story, um, this, the, the film yeah. is yeah, yeah, based yeah, yeah. on this. One of the chapters of the film yeah. is, is this story. Okay. And it's really well done. And what's it's... the film called? Kaido. Kaidan. Kaidan. Yes. Okay. I like this one well because sorry, I'm getting really getting <laughs> caught up in the in the sidebars. This one covers a lot of some like really interesting points in Japanese history as well. Okay. So and and touches on a lot of anyway. <laughs> Enjoy. More than seven hundred years ago, at Dan no Ura, in the Straits of Shimonoseki, was fought the last battle of the long contest between the Heike or Taira clan and the Genji or Minamoto clan. There the Heike perished utterly, with their women and children, and their infant emperor likewise, now remembered as Antoku Tenno. And that sea and shore have been haunted for 700 years. Elsewhere I told you about the strange crabs found there, called Heike crabs, which have human faces on their backs. What?! Yeah, actually, if you've ever seen these these crabs, they they are real. Like their shells have like a really weird kind of human-like face on them. Oh! They're so cool. That's cool. It's really cool. Uh, which are said to be the spirits of Heike warriors. But there are many strange things to be seen and heard along that coast. On dark nights, thousands of ghostly fires hover about the beach or flit above the flames. Pale lights, which the fishermen called, call onibi, or demon fires. <laughs> and whenever the winds are up, this, a sound of great shouting comes from that sea like a clamour of battle. Oh gosh, that is creepy. Mm. In former years, the Heike were much more restless than they now are. They would rise about ships passing in the night and try to sink them, and at all times they would watch for swimmers to pull them down. <sighs> it was in order to appease those dead that the Buddhist temple, Amidaji, was built at Akamagaseki. A cemetery was also made close by near the beach, and within it were set up monuments inscribed with the names of the drowned emperor and of his great vassals. 
and Buddhist servants were regularly performed there on behalf of the spirits of them. After the temple had been built and the tombs erected, the Heika gave less trouble than before, but they continued to do queer things at intervals, proving that they had not found the perfect peace. So this is all kind of a prologue to the story, mm. kind of giving you a bit of context. Mm. Some centuries ago, there lived at Akamagaseki a blind man named Hoichi, who was famed for his skill in recitation and in playing upon the biwa, which is like a stringed lute yeah. plucked with a paddle. Yeah, yeah. From childhood, he had been trained to recite and to play. And while yet a lad, he had surpassed his teachers. As a professional biwa hoshi, which is a lute priest, he became <laughs> famous chiefly by his recitations of the history of the Heike and the Genji. And it is said that when he sang the song of the Battle of Dan no Ura, even the goblins could not refrain from tears. Even the... Okay. I know, right? Even the goblins. Are they... Okay. Are we just going to accept that there are goblins? I think that Japanese goblins are distinct from European goblins. Okay. I think that kind of goblins is more like a catch-all term. Okay. Well, actually, okay. it says in the square brackets, Kijin here, which I assume means mm. key, maybe power, jin, people. Power people? I don't know. Just a thought. In The Witcher, isn't a djinn like a kind of genie? Yes, that's G-G-I-N-N. Okay. Yeah. Um, and also in Arabic folklore. <laughs> but in The Witcher? But in The Witcher. <laughs> <laughs> that book written by a Polish man. <laughs> he is Polish, isn't he? I, sure. I oh, am. Right. <laughs> okay, back to Hoichi. <laughs> At the outset of his career, Hoichi was very poor, but he found a good friend to help him. The priest of the Amidaji was fond of poetry and music, and he often invited Hoichi to the temple to play and recite. Afterwards, being much impressed by the wonderful skill of the lad, the priest proposed that Hoichi should make the temple his home, and this offer was gratefully accepted. That's very generous. Yeah. Hoichi was given a room in the temple building, and in return for food and lodging, he was required only to gratify the priest with a musical performance on certain evenings oh. when otherwise disengaged. That's nice. Yeah. One summer night, the priest was called away to perform a Buddhist service at the house of a dead parishioner. And he went there with his acolyte, leaving Hoichi alone in the temple. Oh dear. It was a hot night, and the blind man sought to cool himself on the veranda before his sleeping room. The veranda overlooked a small garden in the rear of the Amadaji. There Hoichi waited for the priest's return and tried to relieve his solitude by practicing upon his biwa. Midnight passed and the priest did not appear. But the atmosphere was still too warm for comfort within doors and Hoichi remained outside, having been to Japan in the summer. Checks out. <laughs> At last he heard steps approaching from the back gate. Somebody crossed the garden advanced to the veranda and halted directly in front of him. Creepy. But it was not the priest. Oh, God. A deep voice called the blind man's name, abruptly and unceremoniously in the manner of a samurai summoning an inferior. Hoichi! Hoichi was too much startled for the moment to respond, and the voice called again in a tone of harsh command. Hoichi! Oh, my God. Hey! answered the blind man, frightened by the menace in the voice. I would have literally just gone back inside and locked the door. I am blind. I cannot know who calls. There is nothing to fear, the stranger exclaimed. That speaking, does not sound likely. Speaking more gently, apparently. I am stopping near this temple and have been sent to you with a message. My present lord, a person of exceedingly high rank, is now staying in Akamagaseki with many noble attendants. He wished to view the scene of the Battle of Dan Ura, and today he visited that place. Oh dear. Having heard of your skill in reciting the story of the battle, he now desires to hear your performance. So you will take your biwa and come with me at once to the house where the august assembly is waiting. Uh, say please. No, apparently. No, he won't. Manners cost nothing. They d you know what, yeah. I yeah, you need to have a chat with the samurai. I think I will. Yeah. <laughs> In those times, the order of a samurai was not to be lightly disobeyed. Hoichi donned his sandals, took his biwa, and went away with the stranger. Oh who, my god. Who guided him deftly. But obliged stranger him. Stranger danger, Hoichi. Mm. 
obliged him to walk very fast. The hand that guided was iron, and the clank of the warrior's stride proved him fully armed. What? And this is in peacetime? Yeah. Probably some palace guard on duty. Hoichi's first alarm was over. He began to imagine himself in good luck, for, remembering the retainer's assurance about a person of exceedingly high rank, he thought that the lord who wished to hear the recitation could not be less than a daimyo of the first class. Daimyo was like a lord, mm. like, a, like a noble. Presently, the samurai halted, and Hoichi became aware that they had arrived at a large gateway. And he wondered, for he could not remember any large gate in that part of the town except the main gate of the Amadaji. Come on, the samurai called, and there was a sound of unbarring. And the twain passed on. What? Hang on. So he's like, okay, we haven't walked that far, but somehow you're taking me to a place that I don't know. Yeah. Through a very big gate. Run, Hoichi, what the hell? They traversed a space of garden and halted again before some entrance, and the retainer cried in a loud voice, Within there, I had brought Hoichi. Then came sounds of feet hurrying, and screens sliding, and rain doors opening, and women of voices of women in converse. By the language in of... Converse? In converse? In yeah, converse? In converse all-stars? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Rocking some sick... Chucks. Chucks. <laughs> <laughs> By the language of the women, Hoichi knew them to be domestics in some noble household, but he could not imagine to what place he had been conducted. Why doesn't he ask? Little time was allowed him for conjecture. Oh. After- <laughs> After he had, <laughs> once again, continuing the, the trend. <laughs> I'm just going to shut up. <laughs> Ask a question, immediately answer. <laughs> no, the questions make this a podcast. Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> After he had been helped to mount several stone steps, upon the last of which he was told to leave his sandals, a woman's hand guided him along interminable reaches of polished planking and round pillared angles too many to remember, and over wits amazing of matted floor, into the middle of some vast apartment. There he thought that many great people were assembled. The sound of the rustling of silk was like the sound of leaves in a forest. He also heard a great humming of voices, talking in undertones, and the speech was the speech of courts. Hoichi was told to put himself at ease, and he found a kneeling cushion ready for him. After having taken his place upon it and tuned his instrument, the voice of a woman whom he divined to be the rojo or matron in charge of the female service addressed him, saying, It is now required that the history of the Heike be recited to the accompaniment of the biwa. <laughs> I'm never quite prepared for when you start doing <laughs> funny voices. Now the entire recital would have required a time of many nights. Therefore, Hoichi ventured a question. As the whole of the story is not soon told, what portion is it augustly desired that I now recite? The woman's voice made an answer. Did I fucking stutter? <laughs> the <laughs> whole thing! <laughs> <laughs> recite the story of the battle at Dan no Ura, for the pity of it is the most deep. Then Hoichi lifted up his voice and chanted the chant of the fight on the bitter sea, wonderfully making his biwa to sound like the straining of oars and the rushing of ships, the whir and the hissing of arrows, the shouting and trampling of men, the crashing of steel upon helmets, the plunging of slain in the flood. Just note, the in the film, the music which Takemitsu wrote mm. is literally like that. Oh, really? Or played on this Biwa solo, and it's so good. We will link on our Twitter feed, listeners, yeah. so you can listen to that. This one is on YouTube, so enjoy that clip. Yeah. And to left and right of him, in the pauses of his playing, he could hear voices murmuring praise. How wonderful an artist. Never in our own province was playing heard like this. Not in all the empire is there another singing like Hoichi. Then fresh courage came to him, and he played and sang yet better than before, and a hush of wonder deepened about him. But when at last he came to tell the fate of the fair and helpless, the piteous perishing of the women and children, and the death leap of Nino Ama with the imperial infant in her arms, then all the listeners uttered together one long, long shuddering cry of anguish. Oh God. And thereafter they wept and wailed so loudly 
and so wildly that the blind man was frightened by the violence and grief that he had made. Yeah. What the fuck? It's only a song. It's not that deep. I've been to many evangelical worship services that are like this. I mean, same. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. For much time, the sobbing and the wailing continued. Accurate. <laughs> but, <laughs> but gradually the sounds of lamentation died away. And again, in the great stillness that followed, Hoichi heard the voice of the woman whom he supposed to be the Rojo. She said, Although we had been assured that you were a very skillful player upon the biwa, and without an equal in recitative, we did not know that any one could be so skillful as you have proved yourself tonight. Our Lord has been pleased to say that he intends to bestow upon you a fitting reward, but he desires that you shall perform before him once every night for the next six nights. Oh, God. After which time he will probably make his august return journey. Tomorrow night, therefore, you are to come here at the same hour. The retainer who tonight conducted you will be sent for you. There is another matter about which I have been ordered to inform you. It is required that you shall speak to no one of your visits here. What? During the time of our Lord's august sojourn at Akamagazegi, as he is travelling incognito. Yeah, but he, who is he? Not said. He commands that no mention of these things be made. That is... That is dodge. That is dodgy. You are now free to go back to your temple. After Hoichi had duly expressed his thanks, a woman's hand conducted him to the entrance of the house, where the same retainer who had gui before guided him was wait waiting to take him home. The retainer led him to the veranda at the rear of the temple and there bade him farewell. Okay. I... I... Uh, hmm. <laughs> there is something... This doesn't feel good, does it? Does not feel something good. feels something bad. Something is off. Yeah. <laughs> It was almost dawn when Hoichi returned, but his absence from the temple had not been observed, as the priest coming back at a very late hour had supposed him asleep. During the day, Hoichi was able to take some rest, and he said nothing about his strange adventure. What the hell, man? I would be telling everyone. Yeah. I'd be getting on WhatsApp, <laughs> messaging my group chats. Yeah. You'd be like, hey, girls. Yeah. You'd never guess what happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. In the middle of the following night, the samurai again came for him and led him to the august assembly where he gave another recitation with the same success that had attended his previous performance. But during this second visit, his absence from the temple was accidentally discovered. And after his return in the morning, he was summoned to the presence of the priest, who said to him in a tone of kindly reproach, We have been very anxious about you, friend Hoichi. To go out blind and alone at so late an hour is dangerous. Why did you go without telling us? I could have ordered a servant to accompany you. And where have you been? <laughs> Hoichi answered evasively. Pardon me, kind friend. I had to attend to some private business, and I could not arrange the matter at any other hour. The priest was surprised rather than pained by Hoichi's reticence. He felt it to be unnatural and suspected something wrong. Unnatural? Unnatural. He feared that the blind lad had been bewitched or deluded by some evil spirits. I mean, prove him wrong. <laughs> he did not ask any more questions. Why? <laughs> but, but he privately instructed the men servants of the temple to keep watch upon Hoichi's movements and to follow him in case that he should again leave the temple after dark. That is troubling. Yeah. I mean, he's not, he's not like one of the monks. He's just living there. Yeah. What he does in his spare time is no one's business. I guess he's kind of concerned. You know, Hoichi's being evasive. Maybe, you know, he's just like, I'd, you know, these roads are dangerous. You know, just watch out, make room, make sure he's safe. I don't know. You're, you take a more charitable view of this than I view. do. Yeah. I think that's kind of... It's kind of, kind of sus. Yeah. On the very next night, Hoichi was seen to leave the temple and the servants immediately lighted their lanterns and followed after him. But it was a rainy night and very dark, and before the temple folks could get to the roadway, Hoichi had disappeared. Evidently, he had walked very fast. A strange thing, considering his blindness, for the road was in bad condition. The men hurried through the streets, making inquiries at every house which Hoichi was accustomed to visit, but nobody could give them any news of him. Nice. 
At last they were returning to the temple by way of the shore. They were startled by the sound of a biwa, furiously played in the cemetery of the Amadaji. Oh no! <gasps> Except for some ghostly fires such as usually flitted there on dark nights. Oh my god! All was blackness in that direction. But the men at once hastened to the cemetery and there by the help of their lanterns they discovered Hoichi sitting alone in the rain before the memorial tomb of Antoku Tenno. Oh my god! Making his biwa resound and loudly chanting the chant of the Battle of Dan no Ura. Oh my god! And behind him and about him and everywhere above the tombs, the fires of the dead were burning like oh my- candles. <laughs> oh no! Never before had so great a host of Onibi appeared in the sight of mortal man. <laughs> Hoichi-san! Hoichi-san! The servants cried. You are bewitched! Hoichi-san! Oh my god! But the blind man did not seem to hear. Strenuously he made his biwa to rattle and ring and clang. More and more wildly he chanted the chant of the Battle of Dan no Ura. They caught hold of him. They shouted into his ear. Hoichi-san! Hoichi-san! Come home with us at once! Oh my goodness. Reprovingly he spoke to them. To interrupt me in such a manner before this august assembly will not be tolerated. <laughs> Whereat, in spite of the weirdness of the thing, the servants could not help laughing. Sure that he had been bewitched, they now seized him and pulled him up on his feet and by main force hurried him back to the temple. That is so fucking creepy. Where he was immediately relieved of his wet clothes by order of the priest. Then the priest insisted upon a full explanation of his friend's astonishing behaviour. Hoichi long hesitated to speak, but at last... Finding that his conduct had really alarmed and angered the good priest, he decided to abandon his reserve, and he related everything that had happened from the time of the first visit of the samurai. The priest said, Oichi, my poor friend, you are now in great danger. How unfortunate that you did not tell me all this sooner. Your wonderful skill in music has indeed brought you into strange trouble. By this time, you must be aware that you have not been visiting any house whatever, but have been passing your nights in the cemetery among the tombs of the Heike. That is. And it was before the memorial tomb of Antoku Tenno that our people tonight found you sitting in the rain. All that you have been imagining was illusion, except the calling of the dead. By once obeying them, you have put yourself in their power. If you obey them again after what has already occurred, they will tear you to pieces. But they would have destroyed you sooner or later in any event. Now, I shall not be able to remain with you tonight. I am called away to perform another service. But before I go, it will be necessary to protect your body by writing holy texts upon it. Hmm? This is, again, in the film, this is so visceral and cool. Like the imagery that goes along with this bit. Just picture this. Before sundown, the priest and his acolyte stripped Hoichi. Wow. (laughs) Just imagine the imagery. (laughs) Then, with their writing brushes, they traced upon his breast and back, head and face and neck, limbs and hands and feet, even upon the soles of his feet and upon all parts of his body, the text of the Holy Sutra called Hanya Shinkyo. When this had been done, the priest instructed Hoichi, saying, Tonight, as soon as I go away, You must seat yourself on the veranda and wait. You will be called, but whatever may happen, do not answer and do not move. Say nothing and sit still, as if meditating. If you stir or make any noise, you will be torn asunder. Do not get frightened and do not think of calling for help, because no help could save you. If you do exactly as I tell you, the danger will pass and you will have nothing more to fear. After dark, the priest and the acolyte went away, and Hoichi seated himself on the veranda according to the instructions given him. He laid his biwa on the planking beside him, and, assuming the attitude of meditation, remained quite still, taking care not to cough or to breathe audibly. For hours he stayed thus. Then, from the roadway, he heard the steps coming. They passed the gate, crossed the garden approached the veranda, stopped directly in front of him. That is so creepy. Oichi, the deep voice called. 
but the blind man held his breath and sat motionless. Oichi! Grimly called the voice a second time, and then a third time, savagely. Oichi! <sighs> Oichi remained as still as a stone. Don't move, Oichi. And the voice grumbled. No answer. That won't do. Must see where the fellow is. There was a noise of heavy feet mounting upon the veranda. Uh. The feet approached deliberately, halted beside him. Then for long minutes, during which Hoichi felt his whole body shake to the beating of his heart, oh my God. there was dead silence. This is beautifully written. Mm. At last, the gruff voice muttered close to him. Here is the Biwa, but of the Biwa player I see only two ears. Oh no. So that explains why he did not answer. He had no mouth to answer with, and there is nothing left of him but his ears. Oh my god. Now to my lord those ears I will take, in proof that the august commands have been obeyed so far as was possible. At that instant, Hoichi felt his ears gripped by fingers of iron and oh torn off. my god. Oh my god. Great as the pain was, he gave no cry. The heavy footfalls receded along the veranda, descended into the garden, passed out to the roadway, ceased. From either side of his head, the blind man felt a thick, warm trickling, but he dared not lift his hands. Before sunrise, the priest came back. He hastened at once to the veranda in the rear, stepped and slipped upon something clammy, and uttered a cry of horror, for he saw, by the light of his lantern, that the clamminess was blood. Oh no. But he perceived Hoichi sitting there, in the attitude of meditation, with the blood still oozing from his wounds. Oh no. My poor Hoichi, cried the startled priest. What is this? Have you been hurt? At the sound of his friend's voice, the blind man felt safe. He burst out sobbing and tearfully told his adventure of the night. Oh, poor Hoichi. Poor, poor Hoichi, he <laughs> exclaimed. What? <laughs> All my fault. My very grievous faults. Everywhere upon your body the holy texts had been written, except upon your ears. I trusted my acolyte to do that part of the work, and it was very, very wrong of me not to have made sure that he had done it. I can't get the staff. Well, the matter cannot now be helped. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> we can only try to heal your hurts as soon as possible. Can you grow some new ears? <laughs> Cheer up, friend. The danger is now well over. What? <laughs> you will never again be troubled by those visitors. And, and you... Then, and now... <laughs> in, in weird sort of parallel, once again to your question, did you recover his ears? The next sentence, with the aid of a good doctor, Hoichi soon recovered from his injuries. What? Did... Did he grow back ears? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, coming right up to the, to the end here. <laughs> the story of his strange adventure spread far and wide and soon made him famous. Many noble persons went to Akamagaseki to hear him recite, and large presents of money were given to him so that he became a wealthy man. But from the time of his adventure, he was known only by the appellation of Miminashi Hoichi, Hoichi, the earless. Oh, my. What do you think? That was brilliant. I absolutely love that story. It's oh. I, Every time I get to the bit where it's like Hoichi sitting in the graveyard. Oh, it's so spooky. I love it. And the fires, the onibi are like floating oh, around him. Oh, my. Like, uh, I love as well how like how casually that uh, like this book just it just like oh yes and by the way of course you know what are often seen around graveyards are these only only be you know these of fire. course of course just obviously seen you know I, I guess that's again coming back to our European parallels like the only be kind of sound very similar similar to the will o' the wisp yeah from European yeah, folklore yeah, yeah. it's interesting that that phenomenon. Oh, we are being joined being by joined our third by, co-host. Which is probably an indication that it's time for his dinner and time for us to wrap up this podcast. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, it's been a long one. Thank you very much, everyone who joined us along these, uh, through all these ghost stories. Um, I w it was great fun to read them to you. I really hope everybody enjoyed that. Um, reach out to us, give us your feedback. Let us know whether you enjoyed it. If you didn't enjoy it, keep it to yourself because we're both very fragile humans. Yeah. Um, but we are on Twitter, we're on Instagram, at Tome Raiders Pod. Yeah. 
Um, we're both on there as well if you felt so inclined to seek us out. Um, yeah. yeah, give us a follow. Please tell your friends if you enjoyed this. Um, we're working very hard and, you know, as I said in the last one, this is a little passion project, but we would really appreciate um, any feedback yeah. or, you know... Yeah, five-star reviews. Yes, please. Some of those would be great. Yeah. So I guess we'll see you in a fortnight, probably. Yeah, we were trying to do it once a week, but um, I'm nuts. And (laughs) (laughs) we tried to record this podcast a few times, and I just had, like, existential crises. Um, Like, on New Year... We tried to record this on New Year's Eve, and I just was like, nope, I am busy re-evaluating every choice I've ever made. <laughs> Tone Raiders podcast is now turning into a therapy podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Mental health is important, folks. Absolutely. Um, yeah, wear your masks, use your hand sanitizer. If you need help, tell your doctor. Um, Feed your cat. Look after yourself. Love you all. Bye. Bye.